Well, we've done it, folks. We've lasted one more week without complete nuclear annihilation across the world. The conflict, the war in Ukraine is still going on. Uh, things are being pushed even worse, I think, than the last time we, we all spoke. There are some changes that we talked about last week that we were kind of concerned about how they would play out. And I, I think it's safe to say that it has gotten worse for people in the Ukraine that are not white with blonde hair and blue eyes trying to escape this violence. It's becoming more and more difficult for immigrants of color or just not that one ethnotype to actually find safety. The one good thing, Christo, that I, we were talking about before we started recording, it seems like most of the mainstream media, at least here in Canada, is starting to take notice of this hypocrisy. Yeah, at least for right now. I yeah. mean, again, last week we talked a bit about this. There was They were starting to do that. But, I mean, really, like, there was this narrative, even from some people in the media, but certainly from a lot of people on social media, that... Um, this was Russian, like Kremlin disinformation <laughs> that, uh, that the treatment of the refugees on the border was either being greatly exaggerated or outright fabricated because it, um, made Ukraine look bad and the U Ukraine's neighbors look bad, therefore making Russia look good. And so if you shared the plight of black people, Mm -hmm. um, then you were, and other minorities, like, uh, for example, people from India and other places, then all you were doing was helping Vladimir Putin. And some people noted on Twitter that that led to, in some cases, at least social media backlash against a lot of black people currently there in uh, Ukraine trying to get out or recently gotten out or their family members being targeted and, you know, accused of being, again, Russian puppets, just disgusting stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so on the one hand, yeah, you've seen it, but you've still continued to see less, though, this, like, narrative that, like, oh, this matters because, you know, it's happening in a white country. It's happening in a European yeah. Christian, you know, uh, yeah, you know uh, that part of Europe is sometimes seen as kind of partially Europe. They're para-Europe, mm -hmm. but, like, you know, it's like... <laughs> This is not happening in Africa or Asia or South America or 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 anywhere else. It's happening in a, you know, in, in a European white Christian nation. Mm -hmm. And there's still that sense um, that that like that's why this matters. You've yeah. seen some people even say like, I, I don't know if we covered this last week, but there was a journalist basically saying that like all the the weapons that they're using are horrific some of the we weapons russia are using this thermobaric weapons mm -hmm. they're like they're almost like they're vacuum bombs i'm not a i'm not a, a ballistics expert and a military expert so somebody can correct me uh you know but they they basically like suck the air out when they explode Man. which can like destroy people and buildings in a really horrific painful kind of gory way, right? Jesus. Um, and this journalist was basically something along the lines of, you know, these weapons are like crazy and stuff and we've never really seen them used. Well, we've seen them used in Afghanistan, <laughs> but like not like not here, right? Oh, basically man. saying like, you know, these have been used on non-white people. Yeah, they, we tested um, and them that's, out that, That's bad, I suppose. <laughs> but like now they're now this is for realsies, yeah. right? Like they are for realsies being used on real people. You know what I mean? And like, you know, now we even have the, this thing here. And I, I think we talked about this on our in our in our group chat, Andy. But like, you know, there's um, uh, there was a, a recent article here uh, from Canada that there seems to be issues getting people home or getting people here, even if if they're not um, from the, uh, you know, Ukrainian citizenry. Because, yes. again, a lot of the people fleeing are citizens, but not all of the people fleeing are citizens, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact of the matter is, according to this city news article from the Kitchener City News thing, it says non-citizens, and this is from yesterday, um, non-citizens of Ukraine don't qualify for temporary refuge from war in Canada. And so some people, including some people that were in Afghanistan, right? So people that fled Afghanistan, in part because of the war Canada played a role in, in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, we played a role in that, uh, much like, you know, a lot of the Western nations currently backing Ukraine have. And this person fled U U uh, Afghanistan, went to Ukraine, and then another war broke out in Man. Ukraine, right? 
But the Canadian government, it says here, the Canadian government is allowing Ukrainians who have fled Russian aggression to come to Canada temporarily for a period of two years. Uh, but Fraser's office says the program is only open to Ukrainian citizens. That means this person, her name was Chajik, cannot apply. I just need legal status. I need to get a passport and go somewhere else. So non-citizens of Ukraine will still be given priority status if they apply to come to Canada through other immigration streams, but they're not being given that ultimate... Yeah like automatic nature. So we're not excluding these people, which um, again is literally, it literally at least isn't monstrous, Yeah. but it's yet another sign that like all these people are fleeing violence in Ukraine. And there's no indication in my mind that Russia is being, uh, is, is, is treating the non Ukrainian population better mm-hmm. or they're, you know, or what ha- or they're not being uh, uh, targeted or what have you. And so it really is a good illustration Man. that like the racial politics of this really are continuing. We, we have a situation where we're caring more and look, we're probably guilty of this too, to be honest, Andy, mm-hmm. yeah. like, you know, we're, we've been talking about this a lot and we're probably going to keep talking about it for the next few episodes, at least in part. And, um, you know, it, it probably because as two European Canadians, maybe we're we're part of this 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 yeah. problem right and uh, you know and and i think it's a sign you know in canada and many countries in europe that are saying either explicitly or implicitly these are the good immigrants mm-hmm. these are the good refugees and so we should take these refugees there's even a policy here and i don't know the exact details per se but this was uh this was a post on 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 twitter referencing a policy from um the last few years where countries like Denmark would confiscate valuable items from refugees. So I'm guessing the intent is that if you're truly a refugee, you wouldn't have like nice clothes or nice watches or nice necklaces. And, And I'm guessing most of the refugees do not, of course, but I guess if, you know, there are plenty of people who have, a nice ring and also don't want to die, <laughs> right? <laughs> like maybe it's a family heirloom, who Certainly, knows, yeah. right? They may not even be wealthy, but they have one or two nice things. Apparently in Denmark, when these refugees would come often from places in Africa or the Middle East, they'd be confiscated. And it says here, uh, a Danish government likely to exempt Ukrainians from controversial refugee jewelry law, a controversial law allowing Danish authorities to confiscate valuable items from refugees is unlikely to be applied to Ukrainians (laughs) who seek protection in the Nordic country, man. So the fact that it's just so like uh, colloquial in nature just shows you that it is just a racist policy, that this was just like a, a terms of service that they enacted. And now it's kind of like, yeah, it's probably not going to be for these white people that still have, you know, b- belongings, maybe like we said, heirlooms that have been in their family for generations. The one thing that they took away from their war torn country, that's going to get taken. Like I, it just it, all of this is coming out and we shouldn't be surprised but i do think that every week like this denmark one really knocked me on my ass because it's just it's it's in the fucking headline the racism when the racism yeah. is right in the headline a day in day out you know it's hard not to not to get kicked on your ass by there's one thing christo wanted to to touch on that I don't think we, again, I don't think we talked about this last week. When Canada is sending lethal aid, the new buzzword, to Ukrainian resistance, uh, it's weapons, it's materials, it's, it's things to fight these Russian forces. When that happens, you're not sending it. It's not going to one centralized military. Unfortunately, the nature of these sort of conflicts, there are a lot of irregular forces. And many of those irregular forces, as we talked about here, have very dubious, if not outright, Nazi right-wing belief systems and connections. So think about the direct danger, and you've seen anecdotally at least videos of this, when small ethnic groups that believe in, you know, this ethnic um, supremacy and domination are now given weapons and told to fight, the people that we need to protect more than any are the minority groups in that country. Because I've seen horrific videos of just essentially 
gangs of Ukrainians of a of a certain type believing that now they have free reign to commit these horrible acts of war. And and we're not suggesting this wouldn't necessarily happen in Canada because there are horrendous, evil white supremacists here as well. And I mean, look, part of the issue is making it happen in making it happen in Ukraine, which is really upsetting. Like we are not even just the far right. It's not even just necessary. It's just look like they've look and I get why they're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. like, but you know, they're just, they're just given like every, everyone gets an AK, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, maybe I'm and being that's a little dangerous. Good, that is like, dangerous. <laughs> but if you like, you know, if you have local prejudices, uh, stressed out population resource issues, yeah, all of this can create issues even between neighbors, mm-hmm. let alone people that are perceived, uh, incorrectly, of course, as being, you know, not of the community. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is a major issue. And I mean, look, the, like we keep seeing this happen, but like we, we're not going to talk about the Freeland thing again. I don't yeah. think I mean, she sort of tried to hand wave it away, which is bullshit because she knew better. She deleted the picture. Um, a lot of the Freeland defenders were like, oh, she doesn't understand the significance of the flag, which again is bullshit. She's fluent in both Russian and Ukrainian. And the whole thing is that like she's an expert on yeah. like the politics and history of that part of the world. Um, like literally she's like super educated in it. She was seen as like a, a fighter against Kremlin disinformation, like 30, 20, 25, 30 years ago or whatever. Um, like she knew what she was doing and like, yeah. she knew what she was doing or like she kind of got blindsided by the picture maybe, but then still decided to post it. But like, we got all these things here. Like we got all these stories. We got all these, like we, we, we talked about it last week. Like the, 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 the Ukrainian national guard sharing the pig, a lard incident, yeah. you know, about aiming it at Muslim Chechen soldiers. And then we saw another thing. We talked about this, I believe, too, where they're just, again, they're sharing pictures of volunteers and one of them is just wearing the flag of Rhodesia, <laughs> which was like even more insane in some ways than, than apartheid South Africa. What and it's was racism. The, the, the takeaway? And again, I'm I, it's a trite bit that I'm taking from someone else. But I know that there are Ukrainians fighting that aren't Nazis, but it does seem like any time, at least on social media, that a, a picture or video goes viral, invariably there's some like extra zooming in and you see, oh, wait, that one dude has a far right, if not complete Nazi armband on. That one person has that too. Like the idea yeah. that we should just ignore this or that it's not there is absurd. But the idea that because this is happening, they deserve vacuum bombs that are, you know, exploding their insides by an imperial Russian force is obviously not what we believe either. Like it, we can have a little bit of nuance here, but Christo, I just, I yeah, can't like- believe how often that every time there's a picture of these forces someone finds yeah. something that connects it to you know this horrible past well they're sharing all these things here like you know rob russo who uh used to host uh 49th parallel i believe that shows uh done it a uh, uh, harbinger media show twitch streamer rob russo you can find him on twitter as well um said you know if our media is not, is interested in all in dispelling the myth that ukraine is overrun by neo-nazis they should probably stop continually per- platforming and uplist uplifting ukrainian neo-nazis in their coverage right? and there's just pictures of like this young this young 18 year old kid who's going to like enlist i think he himself was a recent immigrant from ukraine and he's kind of going back to fight with his friends on the surface you can see why this is like a good story but then he's wearing like that same imagery that same flag color thing with the the right sector logo it's like a far right symbol he's wearing yeah. that on his hat then le devoir one of the big papers in montreal is platforming this this like uh this ukrainian freedom fighter and there's pictures of him at a soccer game at least a couple years ago with like all of these far right tattoos on himself really looks like the stereotypical kind of like he doesn't have a swastika but it looks like the kind of thing that like a stereotypical far right guy in like Canada or the United States might have all over yeah. his body some of those imageries and you even have things like like uh this like that like there was an article here Canadian woman stays behind in Kiev to help others spreads messages of hope in war zone the producer of the CTV story was Stephen Stephen Bandera now this is Stephen uh, Bandera, not the Nazi 
the far right, you know, fascist of Ukrainian historical lore, okay. who to many is a hero. But this is his grandson, who now lives in Canada, went to Ryerson, Man. and uh, you know, uh, he says here in a recent piece in Haritz which is a Jewish publication. And a lot of Jewish publications have said, you know, not that they're supporting Putin, of course, because there's a lot of anti-Semitism in Russia, of course, but yeah. that there's an uneasiness with how some in the West have just kind of looked past the Ukrainian Nazi stuff. And it says, grandson of Ukraine, Stefan Bandera reckons with legacy Man. of Nazi collaboration. Steve Bandera, a journalist and Canadian citizen, has steadfastly maintained for years that his grandfather and the Ukrainian nationalist movement in general are innocent of perpetuating war oh. crimes against Jews, which oh. is a fuck, which is Holocaust denial. Oh, it's so little he's Holocaust. Not, he's not being like, you know, I, I'm ashamed. No. He's doing the, the Friedland. He's, he's not yeah, saying he's doing, he's a, yeah. Yeah, I'm well, not this is far. Past. Yeah, this it is maybe happen. even worse than Freeland. Yeah, Freeland's yeah, grandfather yeah. was a collaborator, but like Certainly. Bandera's like it's Bandera. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like uh, you know he's a, he's a he's a big name. He's he's a, a, a foundational figure on the Ukrainian Certainly. far right, and unfortunately, because again, some people because he was a defender of Ukraine even if that meant for him killing Jews and maybe other uh, ethnic minorities in, in that part of Europe at the time, you know, the borders were all in flux, um, you know, that he's seen as a hero of Ukraine despite all of those flaws. But for this guy, it's like, it's not even despite those flaws, it's those flaws yeah. do not exist. It's not just Jeez. that he did some bad things to Jews and let's overlook it or try to hand wave it away. Um, it's no, no, they, they, they did right, not so do... We need the Canadian, a Canadian white woman, to explain why uh, Bandera is like Malcolm X for that country. Because I did see that being pushed a around. Yeah, a lot, I saw which a narrative like that as well. Just, right, just but like, lovely, right? Like, yeah. at what point does the threats of misinformation, when you're trying to find the nuance of any sort of military conflict between two nations, does itself just become misinformation? Like, how far down the rabbit hole? Do you have to go like I, I think we both were, were sharing this too, Christo uh, reports. And again, this is anecdotal that, you know, there are so many expatriates coming into Ukraine and, and fighting against uh, Russian forces. So many Canadians that they're given their own unit up. this yeah. reports of up to 500. And yeah, I haven't it, seen that from like an official source. Yeah. But like, look, I, I don't doubt That's, it. <sighs> And we have to just say in general, and this is part of, again, of the racist hypocrisy, and a lot of journalists and people on social media have pointed it out, that, like, uh, you know, generally countries look poorly on their citizens going off to fight in foreign wars, yeah. even if they're ethnically connected, even in some cases if they're dual citizens. Like, the idea mm -hmm. that you're going to go and leave Canada and go fight in a war in Ukraine and in some cases people are going without any kind of like you know legal or even like cultural connection to Ukraine because yeah. they believe in the cause or whatever the fact of the matter is um you know this is like weird right and like it's, if, it's if you weird. did this like, historically in Canadian, and I mentioned this on Twitter, but you know, when in 19, in the 1930s, you know, before world war two, um, there was a civil war in Spain, right? Between the, uh, the, the socialist, the broad socialist movement, which included communists and socialists and, and anarchists and, uh, and, you know, fighting against the fascist forces. Um, and, uh, people from all over the world, uh, socialists or just believers in democracy or or haters of fascism or all of the above yeah. you know went there and you know canadians went and enough went to, to have a battalion and they were called Ernest the hemingway yeah, yeah the, the <laughs> mckenzie papineau battalion and i believe the american one was called the lincoln battalion i believe right um mm -hmm. and it was like this thing they the thousands of people went but they were treated as kim criminals like if you tried to leave the country and you said your, your reason for leaving was I'm going to go fight in Spain, you might get arrested or at the very least your your thing would be blocked because Canada didn't want like didn't want to oppose fascism yet. Uh, yeah. You know, they were still more concerned about communism than fascism. Um, and in general, it was just a big mess. Right. And mm -hmm. so they were like, no, we don't we don't want our people going over. So you had to like lie and then go to France and then sort of sneak into Spain through France or maybe try to get a boat to like a rebel controlled city or whatever. 
And mm. like, look, the biggest modern example is like, imagine if Canadians went to go fight for Palestine. They would just bring their own unit, and there was 500 of them. It would be the biggest news story in Canada. They would all be terrorists, and their families would be getting threatened by other Canadians. It would be uh, the biggest news stories here, but because it's happening in Ukraine and because Russia is the one that's doing this to Ukraine, like you said, we're, we're flouting any sort of precedence, and they're being celebrated despite the fact that they were finding out that at least not an insignificant portion of those people that are doing that might have right-wing ideology. It's like as if the actual people that were fighting and going back to, to Palestine to fight for you know their families and their homes, if there was even a whiff of extremism or, or any sort of thing that was quote-unquote terroristic at all, they would be completely destroyed in the public eye. That is here already with at least some people that are traveling over to Ukraine. So it's just, it, it's almost too too insanely hypocritical to be real like it, it, everyone has to be aware of this now i think just some people plainly think there is a difference some well, people just to really do, like, do believe yeah and they're trying to do these really really fucking scummy things where they're like now's not the time to talk about anything but ukraine so when matthew yeah, green wild. shared something we talked i talked but like matthew green shared a, an objectively correct infographic that happened to be made by a source at least partially connected to Russia saying that the only conflicts in the world right now are not just in Ukraine. He he was called like a Kremlin disinformation spreader. And I've seen some people suggest, including some people on the left, that to say uh, what about Palestine right now is the equivalent of American conservatives saying all lives matter in response to Black Lives Matter, which is fucking bullshit, right? The reality is... Right now is the perfect time to talk about racism and inequality, and I think Palestine's the biggest one. And we and we both saw this. I don't know if we should we should play it, maybe. But uh, Richard Boyd Barrett is a member of the uh, the the yeah, let, Irish government. Yeah. Uh, he's a member of the People Before Profit Party, which is one of the left wing parties. There, they have a a proportional system, uh, at least partially. So they elect. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> more representative. Yeah. yeah, and so he had a great speech where, look, he stands with Ukraine. He doesn't. He actually doesn't oppose helping yeah, you know Ukraine. What, Let's play yeah. it now because yeah. it's only a couple of minutes and it got us both fired up. Oh, so yeah. again, this is what we should be hearing. Imagine yeah. if we heard this in the halls of, you know, Canadian politics. First of all, the outrage that would come as a result, but how this could be something that could really rally people together. You're happy to correctly use the most strong and robust language to describe the crimes against humanity of Vladimir Putin, but you will not use the same strength of language when it comes to describing Israel's treatment of the Palestinians when it is now being documented and detailed by two of the most uh, respected human rights organizations in the world and indeed has been alleged by dozens and dozens of non-governmental organizations uh, and to be honest, anybody who looks honestly at the decades of brutal, inhumane persecution of the Palestinians, successive assaults uh, on Gaza, the annexation of their land and territory, the systematic application of apartheid rules, you don't want to even use the word apartheid. Never mind sanctions. Five days sanctions against Putin and his thugs, 70 years of oppression by the Palestinians, and it wouldn't be, what was the word you used? Uh, it wouldn't be helpful to impose sanctions. No, I mean, like, look, like that. That's that's fantastic, right? I as mean, good as it gets, really. Like, it's it. I I don't see many issues with it. No, at all. No, really. No, he's right to note that. You know, he's right to say that. You know, this uh, this is not people bringing up Palestine by and large are not you know doing so to de-emphasize the conflict in Ukraine, but to draw important historical. Parallels, and I know the situation is not strictly the same. I understand. I understand that. Um, in some ways, the, the, the what's happening in Ukraine is worse, but in Certainly, some ways, yeah. it's not as bad. Let's be mm-hmm. honest, right? Like in some ways, what happens in Palestine is worse yeah. <laughs> than what's happening. And so, like the fact of the matter is, um, 
we have a lot of work to do and Canada's media is platforming Nazis. And I think part of this has to do with like the fact that like we, a lot of Canadian media don't know what these symbols are. So you go to like a Ukrainian rally and most of the flags there are Canadian flags and you know, the, the blue and yellow, like the blue and gold Ukrainian, you know, national flag. And then a few people have these red and black flags with like, you know, a, a Cyrillic text on them and you don't necessarily know what it is, right? Or you see this yeah. nice, you know, uh, kid saying he's going to go fight for Ukraine, but all the clothes he's wearing indicates that at least in terms of imagery, he may have a certain far right affinity or maybe with him, he doesn't even understand what he's wearing, but it's yeah. all of these like coded symbols that are like, you know, that are, that, that are that, important. Yeah. It's not just gotchas yeah. either. Like I think no. that is, that is important because there are choices that are being made when you gravitate to these symbols yeah. and there's weight behind it. And for a not insignificant portion, especially those expatriates that are flying over to, to help the Ukrainian people, there has to be some inclusion of that far right wing ideology of their Western values being attacked by, in this case, Russia, that it's literally for this, the fate of Western civilization in some cases, like that is definitely a part of the equation for a at very least a sliver and it's another complex issue in this very complex ongoing crisis that's happening and the fact that there is zero room for complexity by a lot yeah. of people they they won't allow it ensures maybe in Canada more than things, other places yeah, right i yeah. mean we literally had a piece and again i don't i don't want to pile on but there's a piece on somebody who is on the canadian left who wrote a piece in the national post that basically said, you know, can it left the left in Canada needs to support Ukraine. No caveats, oh, yeah. <laughs> no exceptions, basically 100% unequivocal, uncritical support. And no, fuck that. Fuck that yeah. shit for a couple reasons. One, I don't think we owe anything uncritical support, not even Palestine, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't owe anything uncritical support. But the fact of the matter is like... You know, like we've seen it, like I don't need to uncritically support dipping bullets in the pig lard to offend Muslims. I don't need to uncritically support that shit. Even or if like I was starting yeah. World War Three and promoting that, like yeah, I, yeah. we should be very critical yeah. and try to understand yeah. what these moves. And again, who can who can say? But that's kind of where I'm, pe- I'm leading us to here. Well, and Christo. people yeah. are like, and we got to and I look and this is like something I haven't really seen in main Canadian media. But this was a piece on the NBC News, like main opinion page. So like not on some back blog somewhere, mm-hmm. mainstream NBC actually published, like to their credit, because you know, we wanna we wanna be fair here. They published a piece um saying Ukraine's Nazi problem is real, even if Putin's denazification claim isn't. And it's a fantastic article that says two for two things. One, yes. Putin is being a fucking dickbag, right? And he doesn't actually care about Nazis. He's got his own Nazis. He does not care. If he could have found a way to align with the Nazis to help him defeat the Ukrainian government, he would have 100% done it and made up some other sort of BS Pretty clearly it's about Uh, imperialism. Yeah, 100%. It's very clearly about that. It's imperialism and it's it's, it's like there's like like historical politics and even some religious elements to it somewhat with the, the, the small but mean meaningful differences between the Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox churches. And there's all these things, but like Nazis are not the reason, but the piece says, look, the Azov battalion and other elements of the far right are very real. And there, if you don't reckon with that, you do risk uh, arming them more than they've already been armed, which is happening, unfortunately. And two, by not acknowledging it and by sort of painting it fully as like disinformation, like you're doing a disservice to actually like acknowledge the reality. And I, I feel like, I feel like the people who do that do a disservice to the Ukrainian cause, because if you're just going to like fucking lie to people, people yeah. aren't going to believe you. So when you go on social media and you say, Hey, like, I don't think the pig bullet dipping thing is a good thing. And you have all these fucking Ukraine stands come in and be well, actually contact, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, all you're doing is like, you're just making it look like you're 
you're impenetrable to any criticism. You not only want people to support Ukraine, but you want people to lie for Ukraine. You want to do Kremlin-style disinformation just for your guys. Mm -hmm. And so it's much more effective to be like, yeah, Ukraine's got a Nazi problem, a big one. Maybe not the biggest in Europe, but a, a, a big one. And uh, they and their guys have guns and they're organized and they have major issues with the far right. Um, but we still don't want them to be conquered by Russia. And Russia is not innocent in that regard either. So we've made mm-hmm. a calculated decision to, in this case, support uh, the side that we feel is more conducive long term to a better uh, region. And I think that's reasonable to assume that the right decision is to do somewhat what we're doing right now, which is to provide uh, indirect support to Ukraine. And that's what I have supported. But like to say to people then you're not allowed to call the Nazis Nazis or the the fascist fascists or or what have you is fucking bullshit. And again, I've talked about this. I still get this in the comments. They got a Jewish president. Well, fuck me. The KKK still existed from 2008 to 2016, right? Like in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, one yeah. Jewish president does not a non-racist country make who also allegedly said we should become like the Israelis yeah, in defending yeah. our territory. Yeah, we so, can't get into like, that, but like, yeah, it's like it's part of the hypocrisy no one's again. Perfect. Right? No one is perfect, yeah. and the, the idea that there is a perfect side look, him here. supporting Israel, like, I mean, look, I mean, like, every... Uh, Justin Trudeau would say the same every thing. Every leader. You know what I mean? Leader. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah so absolutely. that's actually, that's actually, that makes him very much Western. <laughs> like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, I, I just... Yeah. Before we we close this out, because we do want to talk about some uh, more minutia of what's going on locally here in Canada, because, you know, gears are turning. Things are going to be happening this year. There has been an announcement this week that the sanctions and basic limitations on uh, Russia to isolate it from the global stage have amped up. I think it was yesterday or the day before uh, Biden was announcing that they're trying to limit, if not outright ban, the purchasing of Russian oil, which is a huge economic de-incentification. And I think today it came out some major companies, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, different uh, banking institutions are saying they will no longer operate in Russia. Back to the idea of the fear of World War III, that this conflict could, you know, spill over beyond just between Ukraine and Russia. You know, what what do you think these moves do to push Russia maybe further isolating to make, you know, more dramatic moves? Or do you think that this is maybe, you know, has to be required for what's happening? Because my anxiety certainly ramps up. I don't necessarily see it as big victories when I hear about these ongoing efforts to perhaps rightly so isolate Russia from the global stage for what, you know, the the military is doing in Ukraine. But a, a big part of my concern is, does this not force the country to do things even more dramatic and escalated because, you know, they are relying on these things. The country in many ways is in shambles. Russia's in, economically in, in shambles in many different ways. So, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, this is a million-dollar question, Christo, but, uh, yeah, well, how do you feel about it? I mean, I don't know if this is going to lead to, like, conflict outside of that. I think we talked, you know, something about this, like, last week, but, you know, in general, the the costs of war, the economic costs, the political costs, and then the sanctions might make Putin more desperate to try and finish the war quicker, which could lead him to have more desperate tactics that put you know his people at risk, put uh, Ukrainian soldiers at risk, put Ukrainian citizens at risk. Um, you know, more aggressive bombing, for instance. He might not have wanted to do that before because it makes him look bad. It's expensive to blow everything up. And if you're planning to conquer a country, especially, and take it over, then you don't want to destroy it, right? Like you want to, you want mm-hmm. you. If, if you could take it over without having to blow much up, then when you take control of the country, you don't have to, you know, rebuild as much, right? But if Ukrainians are going to make this big fight and they're going to try to drag it out, and there's all these sanctions, and people in your own country are getting antsy, and war is very expensive, like this is like you know pretty close to. The, the, this is a this is a pretty you know it's not total war like World War Two style but this is like full war. Russia's yeah. probably spending billions like a day or whatever on this war. Like, you know, this is it's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. Uh, and I think that that might happen. I don't think that the, the, the clear red line would be direct soldier involvement. Even things like, yeah. there's no indication as of yet that, um, you know, Russia, like even things like apparently Poland now is, uh, is, is considering sending some of its fighter jets to Ukraine mm. to be flown by Ukrainian pilots. I don't know the logistics of this folks. Like I really don't know, but like, like that's like, you know, you're, you're sending, you're sending weapons, you're sending aid, you're sending, uh, intelligence, you're doing everything short of sending actual boots on the ground or, you know, actual bullets and, uh, munitions being fired by your boats and your planes and your, you know, on the ground guns. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's the big one. Now, the re real thing here is this fascinating tension. There's been some polling done in both Canada and the U S showing that, Clearly, people are pissed at Russia. And there was a poll in, in, in the U.S. that showed that a pretty healthy majority of people wanted to ban Russian oil uh, imports, which is what Biden did, I believe, just today or yesterday. Um, even And the question actually specified, and they said, even if it leads to higher fuel costs, like it actually put out the, you know, the, the, mm. the, the, the consequence. And a majority of people said, yes, even with higher fuel costs, um, I, I back... Uh, I back this, this, uh, the sanctions or whatever, right? The, 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 the fuel ban on Russia. Certainly. Now the question is on like a no fly zone, right? Ukraine's asked for oh, this, man, people don't get it. People don't get it. They're they're calling for it in the streets of Toronto. I was in Toronto recently, yeah. and we stopped by one of the, the massive uh, pro Ukraine protests and they're screaming and yeah. this is not just isolated to Toronto for yeah. a no-fly zone, which is active war, and I think would be yeah, we've would perhaps about this, leave yeah. Russia in a position where why wouldn't they escalate yeah. this in in different theaters of yeah. war if they could? Like it's the worst thing that could happen right now. Yeah, this I is think. this is an issue of public education. Cal Cal Kalinsky from Secular Talk. He's a he's a you know American uh, uh, progressive YouTuber. Uh, you know, there, there was a march in in um, in in the U.S. a couple days ago where they said they were trying to close the sky. A big Ukrainian march uh, doesn't. I can't even. It doesn't look like there's any fascists there actually. So good on good on that Ukrainian <laughs> march for having no fascists. There you looks go. Like. Well done. Uh, no, yeah, but but the, but they were saying close the sky. And Kyle's right. Like the media, like to a certain degree, a media plays an educate. I know it sounds almost paternalistic, but he's right. Like the media has done an atrocious job educating the public on this. No fly zone is World War Three. Direct military confrontation between two nuclear powers. Not just two nuclear powers, because it's NATO, it's Russia, and it's the United States and Britain and France, who are all in NATO and are all nuclear powers. So it's really five minimum four minimum nuclear power countries involved to say nothing of the potential of what does china do in a in a situation i don't know if they do anything but like you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's it's wild and so the polling i've seen is strong support for a no-fly zone um but then very weak support for actual military involvement telling me people don't yeah. know um what a no-fly zone is mm -hmm. right I, yeah, they, so the I, hope is that these moves by by um, Biden and I, by Trudeau even are seen as enough it, because it does seem like and again, one of the most interesting things about this war is how difficult it really is to substantiate information in the age of, you know, social yeah. media, that it's it's a difficult, difficult task. So seemingly, though, it seems like things are not going great for Russia. So this idea that maybe, you know, these sanctions or these limitations could be a nail in the coffin to this this push, I think is a good thing. But I like we said, actively promoting a no fly zone or, or having, you know, active military involvement by these forces is World War Three. And we hopefully will not see that yeah. in I mean, the next week. Yeah, and Russia's in some ways is always lost. Uh, Johnny Harris did a video on YouTube about this uh, that kind of went viral. I mean, Putin, in the sense, might not win. Like he might not win with goals to take Kiev. Who knows? Like, uh, uh, yeah. we're not, we're not, we're not uh, generals. We're not on the ground, and uh, we can't predict the future. But clearly, he's lost in at least a couple ways. One, he lost in the sense that his narrative, at least, at least his public narrative, but maybe he deluded yeah. himself, was that Ukrainians would 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 
uh, at the very worst, just simply surrender, and at the very best, would would welcome him as a liberator, right? Like like that mm-hmm. that fucking Bush era, <laughs> yeah. like they, they were going to be welcomed in the Bush? Middle East as liberators, so right, which which was not true, remember? Yeah. Um, but but even beyond that, he thought, okay, I'll score a quick, decisive victory. It'll be like Crimea in 2014. Effectively, like no one's really gonna. Like, they'll be effectively for a full scale conquering of massive land. There's going to be minimal casualties on both sides, minimal destruction. It'll be over before it even started. And the rest of the world will sort of just move on. And that didn't happen this time. And so you could argue in some ways he's already lost, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. united NATO against him. Um, He's united much of the world, not all of the world, but much of the world in critical and being critical of him. The vast majority of the UN voted to critique him. Um, Only, I think, four countries voted with them. Uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to support their war, basically. And most of those countries are pariah nations. Um, You know, um, that's the reality here, right? Like, that's the reality. He's, in some ways, he's already lost. In some ways, he's already lost. And I I think that, we'll say it here, folks, on Left Turn Canada, we do not want Putin to win. So in case you were (laughs) suggesting or or thinking that maybe I don't think anyone in our our audience thinks we're we're Putin. I mean, there's that. (laughs) But I think like I think a lot of people understand there's a blowback. There has been some blowback on this issue. uh, I think for at least socially when we're we're pushing this out there, there's been more blowback on this than most of the things that we've talked about here. Like there are there is a leftist contingent that does find themselves in that camp of any it's all or nothing for ukraine yeah because of the threat and recognize that russia is not communist or socialist oh yeah sorry one final connection there yeah you want more and we'll we'll move on like i I know we've been saying that but like so but i send you this is an american thing it's not canadian but i wonder i think we would do better but still fail i i honestly believe this there was a poll done last week uh it was done on march 1st uh, and it was released on March 2nd, and it says, which do you think best describes... I don't think we talked about this, did we? We did not. No. Uh, which which do you think best describes Russia? Communist, socialist, capitalist, or something else? Uh, and this was done by YouGov, so reputable pollster. Communist won with 42%, then socialist with 13 capitalist 11 something else 17 And so that was a scientific poll, like an official poll where clearly 55% of Americans think that Russia is either socialist or communist in the year of our Lord, 2022, Man. right? Um, so you could see you could see how much work needs to be done. People don't even know the economic system of the country that's that that that's like you know the global pariah right now. So we'll leave it on that. So so yes, no fly zones are definitely a bad idea. Then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All righty. Let's go back to some local politics here. Uh Christo, do you remember this thing called COVID and the pandemic that, you know, brutalized this country and yeah, the world? Remember that, right? Yeah, va- vaguely. I think we talked vaguely. about it once or twice. <laughs> Once or twice, about 17 hours. Um, One of the, and I don't want to say prime movers, but someone in this province that has a unique responsibility for a majority of the deaths that did happen in long-term care facilities and and other of that nature is a politician that we know and love, Christine Elliott, a conservative politician that, of course, was health minister, and and she jumped around a lot of different places in the the Ford government. But she was clearly one of the stars, right? Like, when when Ford, one of the people that, and this worked for Ford, when everyone was like, I don't want Doug Ford to be my fucking premier. She was one of the people that was, like, trotted out as, Mm -hmm. like, not not a crazy. (laughs) That was was her, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, not a cri- yeah. that's what she was shown as. But yeah. as we saw <laughs> yeah. in the last couple of years, and a lot of this was from uh, Nora, who we've had on the show before, talking about yeah. how badly this province has fucked up and let people die during the COVID pandemic, not necessarily even from COVID, but just not having the systems in place to help the people who are dying of other diseases and ailments that could be dealt with. It's horrific hell that we dealt with, and she is one of the the people responsible for it. She is departing politics finally. And we saw 
this sacrosanct just bullshit show of yeah. so many other politicians coming out that maybe disagreed with her. You know, that's the classic line. We not yeah. always, we didn't always agree, but I, I thought she was respectable and that she had something to say. And, you know, she was, uh, she was there for her constituents. Surprisingly, and I think it's fair to say that, the leader of the NDP in Ontario said something a little bit different. Why don't we, let's play that now. We know that uh, the Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, is, uh, uh, is walking away apparently from this government. She's not the only one. We've seen a number of people jump ship, if you will. I think it's clear it's becoming um, more and more difficult for these uh, uh, government MPPs to defend the indefensible uh, in terms of the way that Doug Ford has been uh, leading this province. Uh, so I don't know if we'll see more, but, uh, but we've seen many already. Uh, Certainly, the Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, uh, has has served as in a very, very difficult time. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I believe that um, that choices were made not to spend money uh, instead of uh, instead of uh, supporting families and uh, and patients and people through COVID. Uh, we know that the health budget uh, was not adequate, and uh, and in fact, there continues to be cuts in the forecast from the uh, financial. Uh, accountability officers uh, reviews uh, going forward cuts to public health cuts to health yeah i mean that's really good right because i mean andrea like look to to be andrea andrea is definitely one of those politicians that's done things like that where Mm -hmm. she's like thanked people and got pushback from the left on social media where it's like i get it that you don't necessarily need to trash them but it's like under no circumstances do you gotta hand it to her, right? Like you know yeah. what I mean? And so Andrea did a good job there where she was like, No, like I'm not really gonna congratulate her on retirement. Like people <laughs> died under her watch effectively, and we got a lot of mess to clean up here. And yeah. like I think that was great to see, and I think it's very true. And look, we always get into this, whether it's in American politics or Canadian, like when you the, you know, the, the there's often a team of of, of henchmen behind the big baddie um and you know it's not just ford it's not just not doug ford no. who 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 made all these mistakes at best and 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 malicious actions at worst that that hurt ontarians not even just about covid of course but so many other things yeah. and so given that she was the minister of health and at, at least for a point the minister of long-term care <laughs> probably even more than doug ford in some ways yeah, she bears a lot of scrutiny, um, of of the COVID response of the worst place, the places where we suffered the most in this province and in Canada. She had unique responsibility over, and, and a lot of people aren't in that situation. You know, like I don't know how many times you had felt this, but there was such, and of course, the pandemic is still ongoing. We're just we're dealing with other things, but I when this was in its its heyday and its most virulent and, and deadly, there was this feeling of helplessness that, you know, you don't know what can happen for your loved ones who are at risk and just generally what you can do to fight back. And Christine Elliott was one of the very few people in this province and in Canada that had choices that could have saved lives. And for whatever reason, you know, we shall speak to herself that's on her own conscience. she made the choice not to whether it was more politically prudent based on choices that doug ford made you know we know that a lot of these choices in ontario uh came down to different lobbyists that visited ford the day before but elliot has responsibility and honestly christo it it makes me hopeful for the ndp here with this upcoming election if we get to see andrea say more things like this to to be the real decisive figure that we need right now to combat whatever you know del duca and the liberals will be providing that middle of the road neoliberalism like things have in many cases never been so bad here in canada in ontario and the fact that we have a leader of a major political party trying to make sure that she doesn't blow smoke up someone's ass who did a lot of these bad things. Like it's the bare minimum of what we need going forward. And honestly, I I think it might 
push a lot of people in that right direction. I guarantee yeah. people listening to me right now are not a fan of Andrea Horvath and are not a fan generally well, did you see of the, the polling? NDP in Ontario. Did you well, see yeah, the polling? Let, that, that literally, in, in Ontario right now, according to the most recent poll, every single Ontario leader is unpopular. None of Jeez. them... Does that happen? I don't even. I mean, I don't know if that. I think I don't know if that's ever ha happened before. I mean, maybe, maybe not on aggregate, but like every single one. I think Horwath was. The, I can't find the numbers right now, but Horwath was the least unpopular, and she was only barely unpopular, minus two or minus three. So effectively even, but mm -hmm. like you know, it, uh, the people are unpopular right now, and this is actually one big question: is one. The, the Ontario Liberals, while they continue to poll decently, you know, they still haven't captured the media attention. Del Duca has not done what Justin Trudeau had done, right? You know, their fundraising yeah. is still really, really anemic. And the reality is, uh, we'll, we'll just talk about this briefly now, their new logo fucking sucks. It's Ooh, literally yeah, so. just it's literally just two circles that say liberal <laughs> and liberal, but with the l'accent on it to, to, yeah. to, to represent the Franco-Ontarian. It's like a, so, it's something you slap on meat to show that it's like yeah. good grade meat. Yeah, like, yeah. I think I've seen something similar it's to awful. show that it's a grade meat. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> yeah, it's awful. But the, but the point is, like, this is not a good thing for Ford. Like mm -hmm. every party has some MPs that are retiring or what, for whatever reason, whether it's cause they've been in for a while. I mean, Christine Elliott, um, you know, has been in provincial parliament almost uninterrupted since the mid two thousands. She took a mm -hmm. brief time off to become the ombudsman of a, of, of, of patients, which is ironic given how she acted when she was the minister. But you know, she, you know, she was, you know, she's been in politics for a while. She is 66 years old. So it sort of makes sense that she would leave now. But on the other hand, like th there's a lot of people on the outs right now for the provincial conservatives. And they've only had mm -hmm. one government. They have a lot of people that have either been kicked out of caucus or are resigning or uh, switch parties in some cases or just aren't running again. And so mm -hmm. Doug Ford has lost a big chunk of his government, including some high profile people. And it's not even his second term yet. Like, I don't feel like Justin Trudeau had so many top people quit in 2019 some of them lost seats because remember they lost a majority government so they lost a lot of they lost a lot of mps they had that big win in 2015 so you know naturally um you know they lost they lost you know a couple dozen mps right but mm -hmm. like the reality is i don't think there was a massive exodus after one term and i think that's a sign that while the conservatives are polling well um a lot of people don't seem to be willing to stick it out for another two to four years and maybe there is a worry that um um maybe it's internal polling or maybe it's something mm -hmm. else that that this could be a bad election for ford i don't know right because like again that's one sign you saw it with stephen harper and that made a lot more sense to be fair harper had been in power for 10 years almost uh and you saw a lot of high profile people in the run-up to that election not run again you saw john baird and peter mckay and a lot of other conservatives not run uh, yeah. You know, uh, people that had served or were still in cabinet in some cases either quit before the election or just not run during that election uh, as a sign, I think, saying that they didn't want to lose. Uh, they quit. And, um, you know, some of them came back after. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is some of this direct action, because honestly, the, some of the every yeah. story that I've heard talking about Christine Elliott. And again, this is just bad reporting. But the, the third sentence following the news that she's not seeking reelection is that she was uh, protested at her home and place of work ruthlessly for the past two years some say ruthlessly i say you know not enough yeah, in yeah, these yeah. cases so, proportionally I mean, if if if, yeah, if anything under under yeah. under proportional yes yes so yeah. i do wonder for some of these you know cushy if not career legacy politicians this wasn't part of the deal you know yeah. if they're with ford now all of a sudden they're associated with someone that is not at least at this point 
able to find that that base beyond the core of his, you know, local politician charisma. I really don't think he has the pull that he once did. I, you know, he could still obviously win, but yeah. pushing beyond his his scope, I think, is not going to happen. And if you're someone like Christine Elliott, you're you have been hit with blowback, rightly so. Yeah. But that wasn't the deal. That's not what happened to politicians. No, and I mean, look, governing during ago. COVID is is tough, right? Like, even yeah. if she did a good job, like it's got to it must have like some some four year terms in politics are harder than others. And this one was yeah. likely harder than most. Right. Even if she did a great job, I, you know, you could see it. But that's something to keep an eye out for. It's not mm-hmm. everything. But look at how many MPs are not running again for certain parties. That's often a sign of internal confidence. It's not it's not a guarantee of anything, of course. Uh, and some people leave for, for, for personal reasons. But that's sometimes a sign. Do they think that they're actually going to win again? Does Christine yeah. Elliott think there's a chance we lose government? Her seat's relatively safe. She got, you know, she got almost... In, in 20, even in 2014, where the conservatives, the liberals won a majority, she still won by like nine and a half points. And this time she won by more than 20, like to almost 25 points. Um, so uh, the reality is that... Um, the reality is that her seat's pretty safe. I don't think she's going to... Yeah. I don't... I, she's never even really come close to losing it. Like, ever, really. Uh, first election, actually. When, when uh, in 2006, uh, she she won the seat uh, and uh, just barely won it. But that, that that's it, right? Like, I wonder if she's still bitter just that she lost to Ford for the leadership. Like, I wonder could be if that too. been a part of And it, it was yeah. very, very close, obviously. Yeah. There was, like, legal fight. Yeah, maybe. But look, I think, honestly... Um, this is something to look at. This is really yeah. something to look at. Uh, all these high-profile people quitting, and again, whether we, it's fair or not, it, it's like people that are seen as as more even keeled than Ford leaving. Uh, it's not a good look. Yeah, not a good look. So let's. We got a couple minutes left here. Let's move on to the conservative leadership. As you recall, what's his name? O'Toole. I forget. Again, he's very yeah. Generic. Whatever. Like yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. his name was, well, he yeah. was kicked out by his own caucus. Seemingly, and again, it's who can know for certain the reasons behind it. But because at least there's a part of his constituents, a part of his base that believes he was not right wing or quote unquote conservative enough. We have some people vying for leadership now. Krista, we have some more names than we we did uh, previously. Is there anyone that you can see that is going a similar O'Toole route at this point, or is it all just outward goblins and ghouls who are showing the world even more that they're horrible people? Well, I mean, O'Toole kind of ran in between those people and Peter McKay. Yeah, he McKay. had his line. He had if his you remember, line. Peter McKay ran openly on like that pretty moderate-ish platform, right? Yeah, I'm every running, liberal wanted to vote for him. Basically. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. You know, and and he, you know, he there for a lot of the election, he was polling quite well for a lot of that leadership race. You know, in a different universe where he ran it a little bit better and you know did a you know just a few things differently he might have won it but like the reality is that he um he um ran as like an an anti-conservative in that sense or not an anti but an like somebody who was who was anti like the image of the conservative party uh, and, and then you had Leslin Lewis and uh, Derek Sloan who ran as like in different ways, but ran as like hardline conservatives. And you had O'Toole who said like, look, I'm not a far right ideologue, but I'm a true blue conservative, which is to say that like, you know, I'm going to represent the conservative party in in an authentic way, not just the McKay's and not just the, you know, the Lewis's, but maybe both of them. And that worked, right? Like he won, he won the leadership. This time around, I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. We don't necessarily know what the entire field is going to look like. I sort of think it's going to be similar to last time. If you remember, the 2017 conservative leadership was a massive field. Do you remember that? It was O'Toole mm-hmm. ran, Shear won, uh, Maxime Bernier, like, like 13, 14 people ran, right? Like it was a massive mm-hmm. field. Then the next time, it was only four people who, who actually made it to the ballots, I think it's going to be closer to that three, four, five, six amount of people running. Uh, there okay. was a recent poll done by Abacus, 
which asked about four people in particular. One was Paul Evre, who's clearly the favorite. It's not a guaranteed mm-hmm. win, but he is clearly the favorite. He's got the biggest profile. Got to be pulling in a ton of cash. Then you have Jean Charest, who I, I think, I don't know if he's formally announced yet. It'll Maybe it'll depend on when we when, when this gets posted. Yeah, but he's that's gonna a run. name you'll remember. Yeah, he's a former Jeez. Quebec premier, was yeah. Quebec liberal, but in Quebec, the Quebec liberals represent, you know, the kind of right-wing liberals and some conservatives. Um, uh, then, and he, then there's, uh, I think he's going to run in sort of an O'Toole-ish vein where he's not necessarily going to be antagonistic to the to the right, but he will be banking on electability. I can win seats in Quebec. I can win seats in, mm-hmm. in, in Ontario, maybe. All of that. Then you got Leslin Lewis, who is going to run, I think, a fairly traditional right-wing campaign. Like, pretty pretty staunchly conservative. Uh, you know, be she's going to be tough on, like, a lot of social conservative issues. That's kind of what she did last time to some success. Now she's got even more credence. She ran before, but she wasn't in Parliament. Like, she's now in Parliament. Like, she won a seat mm-hmm. in, in Parliament. So um, she has much more credibility now. And and we, we forget this, but the way the conservative system works is they have, like, a point system where every member gets to vote, but every riding is weighted equally. So whether you're in Calgary Center and there's, like, 5,000 members of the Conservative Party or whether you're in a part of Montreal where the membership might only have 30 members, those 30 people's votes are worth the same as those 5,000 people's votes. Mm. So the system privileges um, your ability to win uh, votes everywhere, including in ridings that maybe aren't staunchly conservative. So the point system was such that it looked like she was... Uh, finished third and she did but if you look at the points in that second round she came very close to beating O'Toole and if she Mm -hmm. did uh, indications were second choice support might have gone to her and she might have ended up beating McKay on the final ballot like O'Toole did so she actually came extremely close to winning it doesn't look like it on the face of it but she did Um, then there was Patrick Brown is somebody a lot of people are considering who left the conservative leadership right before Ford did under that scandal, but has mm-hmm. since been the mayor of Brampton. And some people are thinking that Patrick Brown may run for the conservative leadership, right? Yeah, deeply ambitious guy. Like he, he yeah. again became mayor of Brampton, not living in the city and barely no. having any connection, but yeah. was able to work, you know, his connections there to yeah. become mayor. Now, so one it, thing, like, yeah, one clearly, thing I'll yeah. say about him is that I, my instinct is that he'll run something of a moderate-ish campaign. If yeah. you remember, that's what he was trying to do in the run-up to the 2018 election. He mm-hmm. was running on expanding mental health coverage. He wasn't running on the Tim Hudak style. I'm going to fire you fucking people. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he ran, he was going to run on a moderate-ish platform. Um, and, and likely, and for a lot of that time, was polling quite well. Like, he was polling very well. Um, and so um, I think that, you know, maybe there's a chance for him to say that, like, I can build, you know, and he's, you talk about 905, he's a mayor yeah. in the 905, right? Yeah, that, that, that really that, yeah. put his roots down yeah, there now, that, that too. There's an yeah. argument there. So those are the four people that I've seen done in a, two separate polls. Now, I still think Polyevra is the favorite for a couple reasons. One, if you look at this from Abacus, Abacus asked all Canadians, what do you think of them? And again, all of them are in the negatives, but not drastically so. But Brown minus two, Lewis minus two, Chade minus five, Polyevra minus six. With all of these, though, there's a high amount of don't knows because not all of them are nationally known, right? Mm. Um, But the thing that I think is going to hurt the argument against Polyevra is that it's not like Chade is very popular with the general population. So it's not like he can say, look, yeah, conservative members like Polly Evra more than everybody else, but um, the Canadian people like me more. And the sense mm. is that not really, like they're, they're effectively, they hate you both equally, right? <laughs> but among CPC voters, and this is where I think the people are going to have work to do to beat him, is um, Polly Evra is plus 22, Brown plus five, wow. Lewis plus three, Shade minus three. And... That's the reality. He's quite popular among conservatives, and he's unpopular with Canadians, but not much more unpopular than everybody else. So the conservative mm-hmm. leadership race is just starting. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's the full field. 
and they're not having it until the fall. There's a lot of time uh, for things to happen, right? Yeah. There you go. Like, really, it, it's amazing to see these these small little changes that will then become our future because there is a lot of hate right now towards Trudeau and it's it's completely justified. You know, how many massive incidents does this uh, PM get before people just decide, you know, this isn't going to work? I, I do wonder if people are ready. This is what we talk about here all the time. You know, it's it's barbarism or socialism. And I think if we get someone like Polyevra, who is a little bit of, you know, that uh, Charlie Kirk-esque Americanisms of right-wing yeah. belief, like it's not as extreme Nazi. It's just kind of like nerdy alt-right Nazi. It's just horrible. That isn't exactly the same thing as barbarism, but I think we're getting closer and closer. And yeah, Trudeau and the major liberal party will not answer that. They are just a lot of the same thing. So, you know, could we could we see this, the election finally, where uh, Singh is seen as like a little bit more of that elder statesman considering how well the NDP did in the uh, previous election? I don't know, but yeah. it is, uh, it's fascinating for us to to do our bets on. Hopefully, you'll be with us next week. Fingers crossed, no World War Three. And uh, yeah, keep uh, keep listening. Again, if you want to join our community, patreon.com slash Canada. Love talking to y'all on the Discord. Uh, we're going to be actually be posting that Liberal Party logo and, and seeing what y'all think about that. And uh, yeah, anything else? It's bad. All yeah, right. Yeah, it's bad. There we go. Yeah. It's bad. Thank you.